0: Hello, and welcome to Digfinvox Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiaseo. If you like this program, remember, sharing is caring. So please give us a like and send it to your friends. When we think about the digital transformation of banks, we probably benchmark that using the big global names with the big budgets. However, in Asia, many of the regional and super regional banks are extremely profitable and backed by very supportive regulators. My guest today is Ian Gillard. He is Senior Executive Vice President at Bangkok Bank, where he has a number of roles, particularly around digital cloud and security. We spoke about Bangkok Bank's digitization path, going mobile, the advent of CBDCs in the Thai marketplace, and regulation, and a whole host of other things that are super relevant to any bank that's thinking about how they're responding to changes in technology. Ian Gillard, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me, and I understand you're uh, dialing in from quarantine today.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm in mean, state-run quarantine in Thailand. We have everybody for 14 days in quarantine because I was in the U.S. So.
0: Talk us a little bit about first, maybe a little bit about the the importance of Bangkok Bank uh, and in, in <laughs> Thailand in the region, and uh, and then we can talk a little bit about what this, uh, you know, how you, how you conceived of trying to create a a different experience for your customer base.
1: Sure. Yeah, so so we're actually the largest commercial bank in Thailand by assets. Now the difference between Bangkok Bank and all the other banks in Thailand are that 25% around, 25% of our business is actually outside of Thailand. Okay, so we're like a super regional bank. Uh, We have operations in 14 other countries. Um, and some of those operations have actually been there more than 40 years, you know, so Singapore, the UK, the US, we've had really long-term operations. We also own a subsidiary in China. There are a very small number of banks who own a subsidiary in China. We wholly own it. And so Bangkok Bank is is really, uh, you know, is the bank that's considered, has always been considered the trusted partner, the conservative bank, the place you pe- keep your important money, but also we're we're quite dominant in the corporate financing space. But also we have 18 million consumer accounts, you know, so obviously, and we have 1200 branches and about 10,000 ATMs. Okay? And um, we actually launched our first digital banking product in 2001 and we launched internet banking and internet banking kind of never really took off in Thailand because there weren't that many um, wired internet accounts. And then we launched that, we launched our first mobile banking around 2012, 2013. And that really took off. You know, we we hit three million customers in a couple of months, you know, and, and and it just really started to take off. And then the thing you mentioned, we we relaunched mobile banking in the middle of last year, and that's a whole kind of new experience, you know, that we've gone with.
0: What is the difference between the corporate side and the consumer side when it comes to thinking about uh, digitization?
1: Well, the consumer products, obviously, I mean, number one, it's kind of obvious, there are a lot more consumers, so we really need to build things, number one, for ease of use, you know, mm-hmm. for the average person on the average kind of device, whereas corporate, we can, you know, SME is kind of in the middle, obviously, but corporate, we can expect people to have more expertise in certain things. So one thing is, it needs to be easy to use, it needs to be intuitive. The second thing is, it needs to be built to scale, and it needs to be something that really fits kind of into the consumer's lifestyle. And so, you know, we need to be reaching out and really understanding consumers, understanding how they're using the product. Whereas, like a high end corporate cash management product can be really complicated. It's something targeted at people like treasurers or controllers, financial controllers. And so, those things are built for much more complex transactions and lower numbers of users. Whereas, the consumer is really built for the average person. And in Thailand, even people who work in jobs like my maid or my driver, everybody has smartphones, everybody uses mobile banking for everything.
0: Yeah. Uh, When you talk about that, understanding the customer, how well do you think you do understand your your consumers? Yeah, that's a really
1: good question. You know, I mean, uh, probably about 30% of what we did, maybe 40% was invested in things like observability, you know, we put really a lot of work and continue to, in, we use New Relic. You know, we used other products before, but not as extensively. So we made a commitment to New Relic, and they were actually recommended to us by a couple of partners. And, and what, what is New Relic, Relic sorry? New, New Relic is what's called observability, okay? So what it is, is we actually put the New Relic SDK in, in the handphone, and we put it on every hop in the servers, in the data center, and that. And it's actually writing to the cloud, so we can see pretty much real time. You know, within a couple of seconds, what the customer experience is, how they're logging in, you know, how fast it is for them to log in. So that kind of thing is something we never had before. You know, if if a customer goes to a, a branch or if a customer goes to an ATM, all we know is like from the bank. We're like a black box. We don't know anything about what the customer experience is. We just know what the transactions are. With things like New Relic, we also use Firebase from Google. We use app Flyer. You know, We use a whole bunch of different analytics to let us understand the customer experience, how they navigate the app, that's Firebase. If they go to a certain place and they abandon things, we did something recently which had a really high level of abandonment. So obviously customers were finding something confusing. So that there's like a positive feedback loop to help us see where, so, uh, New Relic is much more like real-time, trending. We can see what's happening. If something starts to slow down, like on the back end or something, we can see it from the customer headsets. It pages us. We've integrated with Teams. You know, we use Microsoft Teams. So it actually pops up on my phone and says mobile banking is slow and things like this. Firebase, we use tagging in the application. That lets us see how customers navigate the app. And that's a, that's a that's something that's really invaluable for us because it lets us keep optimizing of that. Um, and there's there's a number of other products that we use. We use threat metrics uh, for for risk and fraud prevention that allows us to kind of tie into the bigger bigger digital ecosystem. So companies like Netflix and companies like that doing financial transactions. So it, it so we we have all of these things together, which are helping us focus to try and understand the customer experience. It's a really big investment. It's something we hadn't done before.
0: Yeah, and what have you learned along the way? Like how, you've got a lot of pieces in the puzzle here. How difficult or easy is it to assemble this and to feel like you're really getting the kind of insights that can drive your commercial purpose? Yeah, again,
1: good question. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a learning curve. You know, we, we went with New Relic because they were recommended to be very easy to implement and very easy to work with and very collaborative, okay? I hired some really smart people. You know, this is one of the biggest challenges for any kind of executive in IT or in the digital world is how do you attract people? How do you retain people? I I hired people with really strong math skills, really strong analytical skills so that we can start to make sense of some of those things. But you're right. I think at the minute, probably we're getting 50 or 60 percent of the value we could possibly get because we're still learning how to get it.
0: What, what happens as you and other banks get better at this uh you work with more partners so if you're at 50 to 60 percent today uh you know what's the potential as as you get to let's say 70 80 percent
1: yeah i mean it's an arms race isn't it <laughs> it's an arms race you know i mean customers expectations continually increase you know one of the things uh, the central bank is very focused on it, is the availability of digital banking, particularly at peak times, because when you know Thailand is different than some markets that everybody kind of gets paid on the same day here, and so um, the, the central bank is very concerned that the mobile banking is reliable, that it's there when people want it, that it's like a critical function for consumers, and they're very focused. They actually publish, you know, figures which show which banks are doing best and which banks are not. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, the, the game keeps changing. Anybody who thinks they understand where things are going to go, I think has had the wrong mushrooms in their omelet or
0: something. <laughs> okay, wrong mushrooms. Um, uh, you've talked about competing against some of the other big banks in Thailand, whether they are some of the other domestic players or perhaps some of the, the, the regional foreigners there. Um, what, what about the, the fintech scene or uh, telcos or, or other types of players? I mean, where are the in the thai landscape are these your your friends your enemies your frenemies yeah
1: they're definitely frenemies i mean you know the way it started in thailand was the telcos because they you know 80 percent of the thai market is prepaid so people could prepay their phone i mean the question i always ask people about fintechs is not how are we going to respond which is obviously we need to respond we need to partner we need to respond we need to Or offer customers alternatives which meet their needs, because obviously fintechs innovate and they do things which attract customers. But the second thing is, where do we think the fintechs want to go? You know, I think a number of these big fintechs want to become banks, you know, and as they move from an unregulated or largely unregulated market into a regulated market, they're going to have to change too. So that actually from in my mind actually affects it affects partnering is one thing. It also affects how we need to, to source and defend our staff because the fintechs can come in, you know, without being disrespectful in any way. Most of them are not really profitable. You know, they have huge stock valuations, not really profitable. So we need to understand how how we fit, you know, we need to make our own role, understand where we're going to respond, understand where we should partner with them where we shouldn't. Obviously, if somebody's going to become a bank. We need to go into whatever kind of partnership, understanding that, that that's their long-term plan. Yeah, um,
0: in some markets in in Southeast Asia, we've seen the rise of virtual banks, um, and uh, I mean the, the nomenclature varies, but you know, essentially purely uh, branchless uh, operations. Um, and uh, but I think in Thailand, not not yet. But it sounds like you are doing things, uh, and so you've got. Um, uh, uob and others have come into the market with purely branchless uh, options what, what's what's your opinion of how that's going uh, is, is the branchless service going to be a winner or do you think that these will uh these, these will have to find some sort of uh way to accommodate themselves to a, a mixed a mixed model
1: yeah you know um i haven't seen many examples of of purely digital banks being launched and being successful by a major incumbent in the market, you know, because the messaging is quite complicated to customers, isn't it? You know, so say we have twelve hundred branches, ten thousand ATMs, and we launch Bank Blue because our color is blue. Okay, and we say to people, "This is a separate bank." They're gonna, they know it's owned, you know, powered by Bangkok Bank or something like that. They're gonna to expect to be able to go into the branch or call that they're gonna need a contact center, they're gonna need access to ATMs for cash, even though cash is disappearing in Thailand fast, you know, which is something I didn't think would happen this fast. So I think in the Thai market, it is it's possible, but it's unlikely we would do something. We we obviously digital is the future. You know, transaction processing is digital. The physical presence is gonna be, except for a very small number of customers, you know, people. With certain special needs or people of a certain age or whatever, the you know, all the transactions are going to be online, and the branches are going to be for advice and for sales, which is a whole discussion as well about the staffing. Um, so I don't think we would do it in Thailand. In the other markets, I said we're in fourteen markets. You know, I mean, and we have payment interfaces. So in the other markets, I think it's possible. You know, I think it's possible, and and you know, we need to just prioritize things as we do it. The other thing I say about the other markets is because we have like a regional platform and believe me, that takes a long time to build and a lot of money. We are the ideal partner for many of these FinTechs who have apps in people's hands, hundreds of millions of people's hands but don't have a banking license.
0: You you mentioned that in Thailand, uh, the society is going cashless very rapidly um, and COVID I'm sure has hastened that that trend. Um, I'm in Hong Kong, and here we often hear about some of the work that Bank of Thailand is doing in partnership with the HKMA around digital currency. Um, right. Yeah, What, what from, from a commercial bank point of view, uh, what, what's the most important thing that you see going on in terms of what the, the central bank in Thailand is, is trying to achieve, and, and where do you think it will go?
1: I actually think the Bank of Thailand is one of, I mean, I'm not saying this to, I'm not brown nosing, okay? I'm not saying this to that. I mean, you know, I think the Bank of Thailand is one of the smartest central banks I've seen. And they've done a number of things just in time for COVID to happen, which have allowed this incredibly high uptake and this incredibly strong movement towards digital banking away from cash. So, you know, there are a number of things. One thing is National Digital ID, which is actually a blockchain thing. It's not on Corda, but it's a blockchain thing. Um, And that allows, if you have an account with one bank, you can open an account with another bank, okay? It's like an identity provider, identity requester, identity provider. That really helps it that people can open new accounts with with banks without having to go to the branch. The second thing they did is prompt pay. We already had P2P, but most of the smaller banks didn't, you know, pay to a phone number. Prompt pay actually allows you to register your phone number with one account with one bank, and you can pay into bank. Okay, and, and prompts pay really, and they also got the banks to reduce the fees. And so there are pretty much no fees for about $2,000 transactions, you know, up until about $2,000 transactions, there are no fees for even for interbank. So obviously that hits the earnings a bit, but it really encourages people to do things on top of that, like QR code payments, like push or pull QR code payments, I mean, that and the other thing they did is national QR code standard. You know, everybody had their own QR codes. I mean, the one thing I say for people who are not in Asia is all this high-end stuff like Apple Pay and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's, it's something for a part of the market, but the mass of the market, 80% of people here on Android, they're on cheap phones, a lot of them, you know, contactless payments, contactless transactions is dominated by QR codes. It's great you know, including QR codes on screens, Physical QR codes, places, and things like that. So, um, so I think that, that was another thing—the an national QR code. You know, there are there are a number of things they've kind of done here, layering that when COVID hit, and the banks all had the newer mobile banking apps and that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, people could move money around, could pay bills, could order things to be delivered. You know, obviously, you know Lazada, shop you know, Shopify, all those kind of things. Shopify, 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 and um, and 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 you know really scale up the transactions and really have many other use cases. I mean, I think what the Bank of Thailand did. So Project Intanok. Okay, so Project Intanok, the national digital currency, the national, national digital currency. That that's actually a project with um, with R3, with, built on top of Corda. Okay, so I'm on the board of R3. Okay, that project is for real-time growth settlement banks so that's not like a digital currency for consumers not yet okay but that's for real-time growth settlement for banks and as you said they're hooking up with hong kong singapore so project lion rock and things like that you know and and i think that's going to be a real game changer okay? we've also done p2p regionally okay we've done p2p regionally so already you can pay to a phone number real time it's like real time moving money in Singapore, you know, and, and you think about that, you know, and it's incredibly low fee, incredibly good FX rate. So you think about it that from a phone, I can pay to something that my friend in Singapore, I can send them, you know, Sing dollars and it's not costing me a bunch of money. I don't need to go to WISE or to someone like that. Right. Okay. So. Right. So, so project Internon is for is for banks. I do think there's going to be this movement into a digital currency, like there are in most countries, and we need to look at the use cases for consumers. I mean, I I actually think there are um, opportunities to work with retailers and that. And I've already talked to some retailers on things like loyalty programs, so you could have like a star alliance of loyalty and use a digital currency for that. You know, those kind of things. Um, know i i mean i think we're all seeing at the minute what's happening in china that you know everybody thinks digital currency and they think bitcoin you know i think tokenization tokenization real coins is where it's going to be bitcoin is going to be one of these things we look back on in five years or 15 years and say what was that you know I know, i mean i know that's a controversial thing to say but that's my position you know but i think tokenization you know, allowing people to join, you know, um, IPOs via like an ICO or things like that, tokenizing those kind of things is really where it's going to go. There's huge. In focus a, within a licensed,
0: regulatory, regulated environment.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, it needs to be controlled. It needs to be licensed. It needs to be something people can rely on. They might buy a ho- a coin and a high risk asset, but they need to know it's a high risk asset, don't they? But at least it has some value behind it. You know and, and i think those kind of things things like property funds you know i think that that's where things are going to go you know allow people to more flexibly invest in things to more flexibly i mean i think tokenization is where it's going to be As i say every you know when you talk to people and you talk about digital currencies in fact we just had a quick discussion with the executive board last night on this and people talk talk about it, and they think bitcoin i think that's damaging the thing you know i think what china's doing and what the this, the uh, Bank for International Settlements is doing of starting to say, okay, you need to you need to allocate capital for risk to these things. Will, will it progressively squeeze Bitcoin into a corner? Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, last question for you. Just uh, we've talked about some of the blockchain stuff. Uh, you're a user of Arthur's Corda. Uh, I believe Contour for trade uh, finance is also one of your uh, platforms. Um, in the corporate space, uh, how far along are we? Are we just at the beginning, or are these things beginning to mature? To 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 take this approach to partner, you know, this you know,
1: frenemies as you say, you know, cooperation or you know whatever you want to call it, with the other banks is the only way this is going to work. You know, trade isn't going to work if one bank goes off and does it one way and all the other banks. And so, in some of these things, like actually like threat metrics or like Akamai, or that, I'm trying to get all the banks in Thailand to get on board. You know, I mean, I th- I think that's a key part of it, and and you know, I, I mean, we are we compete
0: with each other, but it's in all of our interests for us not to
1: be breached.
0: Right. right at that infrastructure level, where it's not a competitive advantage, it's 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 utility building. Right, exactly, yeah, exactly, and the rec- the need
1: for for the public. And the, and the reality to be that the digital infrastructure is resilient and is secure is incredibly important. So if one bank gets hacked, or one bank has a major outage, or so it affects all of us. And So a number of the, I mean, buy-in is another thing. I'm trying to get us to use the buy-in standard for API so that we don't have every, every bank has a different API standard. And then for, for the FinTechs, it's harder as well with those things. So, I think there, even though there's this intense competition, we also need to cooperate and standardize on things so that we we, we do. And as I say, I think the central bank, I mean, I'm, it's breathtaking to me. What a good job they did to, to prepare us for COVID. I mean, they had no idea it was gonna happen, you know, but, but once it did happen, we were in much better shape than most other countries. Yeah, okay.
0: Well, and let's hope that a lot of that that cooperation is not just within Thailand, but also uh, extends yeah, yeah. throughout yeah. ASEAN and, and, and beyond. Uh, this would be good news for everybody, yeah. regulators yeah. And, and financial institutions alike. So, uh, Ian Gillard, I really want to thank you for your time. Uh, good luck with the rest of your quarantine. I hope it's productive. Okay. <laughs> Try not to go crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Jake. OK, so all right. Bye-bye. Thank you.